The case is called The Queen on the Application of Day and Shropshire Council and it's about a challenge to the grant of planning permission by Shropshire Council for the development of houses on a piece of land that was formerly part of a public recreation ground and the question for the court is uh, concerns the consequences of the sale of that land to a developer without compliance with the statutory uh, restrictions which apply when you are selling land that is subject to a statutory trust for the public. The case began in mid-2018 when Dr Day, who is an academic living in Shrewsbury in Shropshire, was concerned that he'd seen notices up advertising applications for planning permission for the development of 16 houses on what he understood to be part of his local park, part of his local recreation ground. And so he wanted help in opposing this. And he'd done some research and he found out that not only did the local people there currently use the land for walking dogs and playing hide and seek and all the recreational things one might expect on a bit of rough ground that's part of a recreation ground, but also when you look back into the records, he found back in 1925 the council as it then was, uh, the mayor and burgesses and aldermen, as those sort of old-fashioned names, uh, had bought the land, and including the park that was being built specifically for a park. And so there was an argument that actually it had always formed part of the park and was being held in trust. It's a kind of form of statutory trust under the Local Government Act 1972. He wasn't aware the land had been disposed of, and the reason was that it had been sold off without public consultation. And the legislation says that where land is subject to public trust, it must first be uh, advertised for sale and any objections considered uh, before the sale takes place. That hadn't happened. So when Dr Day came to us, I gave my advice, we ended up bringing a challenge to the grant of planning permission on the ground that this was and always had been subject to statutory trust, was part of the recreation ground had been sold off without going through the proper processes for consultation in advance of the sale. And we argued that it was therefore still subject to the statutory trust, but even if it wasn't, that its history was material to the decision whether to grant planning permission. The decision of Mrs Justice Lang was predominantly in, in our favour, and at that stage there was a huge, long history of archival documents that we had to go through. We had to look at the history of when the land was bought. Uh, in the 1930s it was then turned into a recreation ground. In the 1940s during the war some of it was turned over to the Dig for Victory uh, project around allotments and, and cultivation of the land. Uh, then in the 1950s uh, there were whole statutory schemes around what happened to a lot of the Dig for Victory land in the UK. Uh, and then the land had fallen into sort of wasteland. Uh, for a period it had been used as a nursery for cultivating trees and eventually was in its current state of, of lying derelict but people walking dogs and carrying on playing uh, in, in the rough ground as it had become. So we had to go through the whole history and establish whether there had been any appropriations, any changes in status of the land over the course of the history. All of that factual history went in favour of the claimants. And Mrs Justice Lang in the High Court found there had been a failure by the council when granting planning permission to look into all of that history, to take that into account, uh, and therefore a failure to take into account material considerations, which is a, a very well-established public law error in the, in the grant of planning permission. 
The result of that was that she found the decision to be unlawful, but she didn't quash it because she said in the exercise of her discretion, uh, the decision was highly likely to be the same if retaken. We went on appeal to the Court of Appeal and there the case really revolved around a single point of defence for the defendant, or in the, in the Court of Appeal, the respondent, Shropshire Council, who argued that, okay, there were these errors, okay, the disposal of the land was unlawful because we hadn't gone through the correct processes for disposing of land before, uh, for, for consulting on the disposal of land before, before its sale. But now that we've sold it, there's nothing that can be done. Uh, Section 128 of the Local Government Act 1972 uh, protects the purchaser uh, against our errors in the, in the process. So valid title has passed, the purchaser takes free of the, of, of the, of the statutory trust uh, and therefore uh, it's immaterial to any subsequent decision on planning permission uh, that there used to be a trust over the land. Um, so that's, that was the question in the Court of Appeal. Uh, the Court of Appeal determined that point on its own terms, not really in accordance with the way either party had argued it. Um, and then the Supreme Court granted us permission to appeal against uh, how the Court of Appeal had decided the case. So that's the background and how we got as far as the Supreme Court. Uh, and the hearing came on before the court in December of 2022. In one sense, the issues were actually quite narrow. It was a point of statutory construction about the Local Government Act 1972 and specifically the provisions at section 123 and 128 of that act and how those interacted with one another. Uh, specifically, this provision that said that if, that they required public consultation before the sale of land that was held subject to a public trust and said that if that public consultation was carried out and the requirements were complied with, the statutory trust would be released. The question is what happened if they weren't complied with did the statutory trust continue to exist in some form? And the council was arguing that a protection for purchasers that was provided in a separate provision, section 128, which says that, said that purchasers did not need to be concerned to see or inquire as to whether various statutory requirements had been complied with, meant that the statutory trust must be released, even if they weren't complied with, because that's the only way of protecting purchasers. What we were saying was that all that, protect, that provision did was to protect the validity of a transaction from a legal perspective, but it didn't mean that the public lost their rights under a public trust and there are other remedies for a purchaser to protect them in, in those circumstances. Uh, so that's the narrow, that's the narrow issue. But, uh, there are wider issues and I think Alex might be better placed to talk about Yeah, those. so what, the way we tried to articulate the idea of the rights of the public uh, subsisting beyond the transfer of title was to analogise uh, those rights to either public rights over a public highway or over a village green. So in the case of a footpath across a field, you will have a legal owner of the field and that field may pass hands many times over the centuries, but the public retains its, <coughs> its rights over the footpath. Um, and similarly, in a, in a case of a village green, often the village green is in public ownership, sometimes in private ownership, but the public has rights to recreate, to play cricket and walk their dogs or whatever it may be on the village green, uh, notwithstanding they don't have title. Uh, and so that was the analogy we drew with recreational rights under a statutory trust. Uh, and that's an issue that hasn't really ever been explored before by the courts. Statutory trusts have existed 
probably at least in, since, since uh, the Public Health Act uh, 1848. We were concerned with rights under the Public Health Act 1875 and 1906. Uh, and so one of the questions was, what are the nature of what is the nature of the public's rights under the statutory trust? Um, and so that was something where you know we had to do quite a lot of interesting background research, which Kimberley headed, Julie headed off to the Inns Libraries to to look up the backgrounds to uh, the 1906, the Open Spaces Act 1906, and the Public Health Act 1875. Um, and that was, you know, a pretty interesting part of the case, I think, wasn't it? Looking into the 19th century case law and the early 20th century case law um, around this idea of a statutory trust, which to a modern ear is a bit unusual, but was a kind of early way of articulating public law ideas. One of my jobs in preparing for this case was to go to the uh, Inns of Court libraries and to research the background to the statutory provision that we were, that the court was going to have to interpret, i.e. the the 1972 Local Government Act. But that act, when you go back through the history, is actually an amalgamation of a variety of acts, but initially stemming all the way back to the Public Health Act 1848. So there was quite a long statutory history. Um, and I got to dig around in the archives of Hansard from the, from the 19th century, talking a lot about cholera and all sorts of responses to public health crises, uh, which were actually quite reminiscent of more recent um, public health con- crises, um, and the legislature's response to that, um, which was fascinating. Um, and the idea behind that was to try and understand why these statutory provisions had been brought in, and therefore how they might have been expected to uh, to work or what the effects might have been expected to be in the circumstances in which we found ourselves in this case. Um, and that was, a, that was a really interesting interesting task. Yeah, and, and, and what came out of that research was that there had been a case in 1962 called Blake and Hendon Corporation which had interpreted the nature of statutory trusts, which is the statutory framework under which most of the parks and recreation grounds and so-called uh, pleasure walks of the UK are, are held. Uh, and in the 1962 case, Blake and Hendon Corporation, uh, the Court of Appeal found that those trusts couldn't be overridden in effect. And so that then seems to have fed into the 1972 Local Government Act. So one of the things that uh, came out of the research at the Supreme Court level was looking right back to Hansard, not only of the 72 Act, but also of its predecessors. There was a Town and Country Planning Act 1959. We looked at uh, the Hansard excerpts from that. I say we. Kimberley looked them all up. Um, you know, and it's a very important part of the Supreme Court process, you realise, because you don't get that chance to do days and days of work, uh, really, very often at the Court of Appeal or High Court level. But it feels like you know, one's obligation at the Supreme Court level to get it absolutely finalised and right. So, um, yeah, maybe you could say something about the Hansard research that, that came out of, of, of that work in the Inns. Yes, so I think what came out of that was this idea that Parliament had had to legislate um, in the predecessor to the 1972 Act, which was the Town and Country Planning Act, 1959, which, in order to overcome an issue that had arisen out of this Blake and Hendon Corporation case, 
which was that the, effectively, in that case, the council had sought to argue that it wasn't beneficially entitled to the land, so that it wouldn't have to pay rates in respect of the land, because the land was held on public trust, and therefore the public were the beneficial owners, not the council. Which was great from a rates perspective. What then happened was they had problems in terms of their rights to sell or dispose or do anything with this land, because they were no longer deemed to be beneficially entitled to it, so the court had found. And so this legislation had come in which provided a procedure following which the statutory trust could be released so that land could be disposed of or appropriated for other uses um, and not always had, having to be kept for the benefit of the public. But that seemed to indicate in support of our case that the release of a public trust should only happen if and when the requirements are complied with, not in any other circumstances. Yeah, and the Hansard excerpts that you drew up really supported that, didn't they? And um, indicated that the express intention was to provide, as it, in the 1972 Act, just for very small parcels of land to be released. So the idea was still that actually that the majority of any park that was bestowed on a local authority for the benefit of its population was untouchable. That was then amended later. So now it's it's possible, as long as you go through consultation procedures, uh, it seems to, to dispose of um, open space land held on statutory trust. But in this case, the council hadn't gone through those procedures. And so our argument was, well, if you don't go through the very limited procedure that's available in statute to discharge the trust, the trust continues, the public continues to maintain their rights to recreate. And that should have been taken into account when, when granting planning permission. So. In very summary form, that's the issue that confronts the Supreme Court and that we were uh, arguing in December last year. One of the questions that was thrown up by the case was what was meant in Section 128 of the Local Government Act 1972 by the wording, the purchaser shall not be concerned to see or inquire as to whether various statutory requirements have been complied with. And the... Court of Appeal had found that what that meant was that unless the purchaser had actual notice of the statutory trust and the failure to comply with the statutory requirements, then they couldn't be burdened by it, regardless of whether the council had, had, had complied with the obligations or not. Um, and that could be the only purpose of, of that wording. And the wording is quite interesting because it's much more commonly found in conveyancing type legislation or the Law of Property Act, for example, than it is found in, in, in sort of public or local government law and so one of my tasks was to go and have a look at the context in which that had been used but also the Hansard which um, debates in which that was brought that language was brought in to see what the what the purpose of it was um, and the the concern was that that a purchaser it might be very difficult for a purchaser to ascertain whether consultation requirements had been complied with or indeed previously under predecessors of the Act ministerial consent had been obtained because that was one of the statutory requirements initially uh, and that that shouldn't be that burden shouldn't be placed on the purchaser despite this general and quite well known property or conveyancing principle of caveat emptor i.e. buyer beware where a buyer will be burdened with ascertaining that there aren't any problems with the land uh, that will affect it. But in this case, Parliament wanted to ensure that, that that burden wasn't on the purchaser and that they would still have rights and remedies as against the seller if it turned out that they hadn't complied with those statutory requirements. But what we were saying is that that, didn't, that could still have effect and have some benefit for the purchaser in terms of private law remedies 
without having to rid the public of all of their rights under the statutory trust by saying that that trust was released. Um, and I think that was a, not a new argument entirely, but one that was developed further in the Supreme Court than it had been below. Yeah, and a, and a key argument because we, have, we had to offer the court an alternative interpretation of Section 128 to that which the Court of Appeal had presented. Um, and that's where you know, Kimberley's property background was, was so helpful in, as you say, in, in sort of fleshing out the constructive notice type uh, argument that had been uh, put bef below but hadn't really been put in the full context of, of the property law perspective that you were able to bring to it. So it comes back to that multiple perspectives on such a complex and interesting kind of, you know, multifaceted kind of case. There's another component of this case that I think is really interesting, which is that it's brought by an individual, Dr Day, who lives near the recreation ground in Shrewsbury. Uh, and he is something of a community leader on this issue, I suppose. And he's done a lot of work uh, coordinating the community and, and fundraising for it. And uh, it's been, uh, you know, for a very poor community, really, a huge effort. So. They've fundraised through sponsored walks up Snowdon, uh, drag nights at the local pub, boot car boot sales, you know, hundreds of pounds at a time to get their legal fees together. Uh, and correspondingly, their, their lawyers have worked on very reduced rates and subject to what are called Aarhus uh, uh, cost caps, uh, which are available in environmental litigation. So a whole component of this strategically has been around um, how to work uh, with a community in bringing a kind of strategic form of litigation. Uh, and so behind the case has been also a lot of the community's work with the local authority trying to uh, resolve this conflict uh, between them and their, and their two local councils, the town council and the county council, without the need for the litigation. Uh, and that's borne a lot of fruit. The, the, the town council actually appointed... Uh, an independent um, uh, King's Council to investigate its own failings. Uh, uh, there's been a very critical auditor report of um, them disposing of the site without going through the proper processes. Uh, and so there have been moves towards that and indeed there was just before the hearing uh, a resolution by the town council who sold the site to try and take moves towards uh, buying the site back. So this is a case where actually it may succeed in achieving the client's objectives. It's not just a, a sort of fascinating legal point for all of us lawyers and all these obscure uh, points. It, it may well bring this site back into public ownership for the benefit of the residents of Shrewsbury. Uh, and that will have knock-on effects at this level, Supreme Court level, uh, throughout the country. It's going to affect um, local authorities' ability to, to dispose of and develop land throughout the country uh, that's held as, as parks and recreation grounds. So it has a much wider significance and, and quite an important one, I'd say. There are several aspects of a judgment that I think will be interesting and will be good to look out for, because there are several ways in which the court could determine the case. Going right back to the start, of course, this is a challenge, a judicial review challenge of a planning permission based on a failure to take into account material considerations. And one of those material considerations, uh, which the courts did seem to be interested in during the course of the hearing, was simply the fact that the council, when it prepared its officers' report to the committee, didn't take into account that this land had once been 
um, public trust, subject to a public trust, and had in fact been used as part of the recreation ground. And that in itself, regardless of whether the public trust actually subsists under the legislation, could be sufficient to to amount to material consideration and the failure to take into account that consideration be sufficient to render the decision unlawful. Alternatively, of course, the court could find, and this is our primary case, that the public trust does subsist and then it will have to determine in what form that trust subsists and what that requires in terms of quashing of a grant of planning permission and or potentially returning the trust to public ownership how far the court goes in that will ultimately be up to it because it's only being asked really to determine the lawfulness of the planning permission itself. But I imagine the way that the hearing went and the interest of the court that will get some consideration at least of what the nature of those rights are if they do subsist. It's a very good summary if I may respectfully say so. <laughs>